You are listening to The Fox, a podcast novel written and read by Arlene Radaski. Chapter 1. Jana, A.D. 82, November. I will die when I choose to die. And as I die, my thoughts will be of Laverne, the fox, a man who taught me to live, to talk to the gods, and to love. We failed to change the future, and now I beg the goddess Marigna to allow my daughter a safe journey. I have only time for one more passage dream to tell our story. Then I shall die. A.D. 72, October. Peat smoke darkened the room, and firelight struggled to glint off the weapons behind our clan chieftain, Uncle Bethan. I kept my eyes on them so I did not have to look at him. A bronze shield, two spears, and two swords, one short and one long one, were balanced against the wall. The sword hilts showed our smith's interpretations of animals, trees, and the spirals of life. If I squinted just right... The bear, Uncle Bethan's name sign, shrugged its shoulders as if alive. When he was in a better mood than today, he let me touch them. I wished I worked with my cousin to create this art. We stood in front of my uncle's table like thieves as he ate goat cheese and bread, crumbs falling into his beard. My hands were sweating. I held them behind me. I jumped when he said, Jana, you will marry Heralt. He had sent Brayden to summon my mother and Heralt as well as me. Heralt's father, Surtick, was there too. No good ever came from being summoned. Bethan would usually send the girl who did his cooking, Drista, to ask us to join him for family discussions. Drista, a farmer's daughter honored by Bethan's choosing her, was almost at the marrying age and would leave Bethan's home soon. He would pick another and another to come to him until he married. When our chieftain sent his warrior Brayden, we knew he wanted to discuss important clan matters. I did not want to be in his lodge that afternoon. Uncle Bethan's dogs chewed on old pork bones under his table. The smell made my stomach churn. Mother did not look upset when she glanced down at me. I wondered how we could be mother and daughter. As a small girl, I held up our polished bronze and compared our faces. She told me I was vain. I told her she was beautiful. I felt like a young goat next to her. Mother's hair was long and straight, the colors of autumn, amber laced with gold and red. Her brother, Bethan's hair, was similar. Hers smelled of herbs when she washed it, and she wore it down. Mine was black as a raven's wing and never where I wanted it. I wore mine tied back. Her eyes were blue as clear snow water, and mine the color of mistletoe leaves with oak splinters. She reached Bethan's chin, and my head came to his lower chest. Smiles were rare on her solemn face, and I seemed not to know how to be serious. She blended into our family, the village, the clan. I was like none of them. She told me I was like my father, a trader from the south. 
I wished I had known my father. Bethan sliced another large piece of cheese and stuffed it into his mouth. My stomach groaned. Chewing, he continued. However, Serdic, you do have a rich farm. You will be able to provide your son with sheep and pigs to start his own family. And he will inherit your land one day, goddess willing. He drank long from his cup of mead. Serdic was a small man with arms strong enough to lift one of his sheep out of a ravine and broad shoulders to carry his lambs. Heralt, built like his mother, grew tall, thin, and quiet. His father looked up to him, but Heralt heeded his father's wishes. Blankets and pieces of clothing were strewn over my uncle's home. Bridles and parts of his chariot lay on the table in midst of repair. His hunting dogs laid asleep on his bed or at his feet gnawing on the remnants of last night's dinner. In the gloom of the room we had to be careful not to trip over whatever was on the floor. My aunt used to straighten after him, but she died two planting seasons ago. And Jana? I looked straight at him, shards of light reflected in his sky-blue eyes. I shivered. You have seen sixteen harvests, he said. I knew I was past the age of marrying. Most girls younger than me were married and had several children hanging onto their skirts. I had foolishly thought uncle and mother would let me choose my mate. It is time for you to start having babies of your own. You will marry. I will handfast you both at Sawain to be blessed by the gods. Now go! I am still hungry, girl! Mead! he belched. Drista dashed in, balancing an overflowing mug and more cheese. Stunned, I hung on to my mother's arm. As we left his lodge, Uncle Bethan's words rang in my ears. But mother, I said, I have watched Brayden for a long time. It was him I hoped to marry. I was waiting for him to ask Uncle for our hand fasting. Now I have to marry that, that farmer. Shush, girl, my mother said. I did not care if Harald heard me. I had known him all my life. We played as children, but I had never thought of marrying him. I did not know if the tears in my eyes were sun-caused or disappointment. I overheard Serdic as Harald and his father walked away. It is too bad you could not have married Silius. Her hands are calloused from hard work. Her father taught her well. Jana does not know how to work the land. She has lived with her mother weaving, and her hands are soft. She will not like to work outside in the fields. Yes, I thought. I wove cloth. My hands did not have the grime of the fields on them, but they were still strong hands. Would Heralt only want to marry someone with dirty hands? We must do what Bethan decrees, my mother says. He is the Akian Kirik. I glanced over and saw Heralt's shoulder slump. The moon, full then, was now a sliver. I stayed angry and sullen most days. I spilled water and half swept the floor. My mother finally lost her patience with me one day and grasped me by my shoulders. Turning me to face her, she said, You will be married to Heralt, and you will be happy. Heralt has said you will marry, so you will marry. Stop behaving as if you were a lost puppy. My dream of Brayden faded, and I accepted my fate. 
I supposed I liked Heralt. His ear-length, rust-colored hair swept back with lime-wash looked becoming. His face, though not as handsome as the warrior's face I had admired for so long, was not ugly. He kept his red beard trim and his hands were large enough to catch a baby lamb being born. He was a good farmer who smelled of harvest corn. I could marry worse. The day before Sawain, the day our hand-fasting would be officially announced, Mother asked me to go to the drying-rack in our yard and bring in the last of our blue yarn. I stood in the sun, thinking of the upcoming ceremony. Would Heralt kiss me after the announcement? Only my uncle and cousins had ever kissed me, and then only on my cheek. I touched my lips and wondered if I would know what to do. Jana! I sighed, not wanting to go back to the loom. The sun was high and white clouds floated in the bright sky. I had been cold in those days of rain and felt the golden warmth as a gift from the goddess. I hoped for the same weather tomorrow. It would be nice to be warm and dry on the day of my hand-fasting. I waved my hand to show I had heard. One moment, mother, I saw Heralt coming from our smithy. He walked toward our house from Finley's work hut, carrying a repaired plow on one shoulder. Heralt is coming. I wish to speak with him about the giving fires. He passed me and did not stop, though I thought I had seen him look my way. Heralt! I called. He stopped walking, but did not look at me. Come with us to the ceremony, I said. Come early so we may talk. I would like to arrive at the fires with you. He sighed and looked at me as if speaking to his little sister. I will ask my father, he said. He may need help with the animals. Maybe my sisters will be enough help. If he says I may come, I will be here in time to walk with you and your mother. He started down the hill. May the gods protect you from evil tonight, I called. He answered, and you, without looking back. I hoped he would come to take me to the festival. He had been busy with the harvest, and I, making cloth for winter cloaks. So our visits were few and hurried. We must learn to live together quickly, and I was ready to try. We would not have the usual full season to live together before marriage. My uncle had shortened our hand-fasting time. Maybe he worried one of us would protest the marriage. I wrenched the bitter-smelling blue wool off the rack and ran to my mother, my hair flying free from its tie again. "'Jana, do not run,' she scolded. "'You are old enough to be respectable. We still have good sunlight, so we can weave more before we go to Bethan's.' I added the wool to the overflowing baskets next to our loom, which stood on the other side of the loom. A window cut into the stone and mud wall just above it let in the afternoon light. It would be hard to leave mother and this home I have known all my life. Taking a deep breath, I inhaled the scent of the wool and dyes, a mixture of herbs and trees, bitter and sweet, a smell I grew up with. I learned to weave and spin with these smells as I learned to walk. My fingers were soft from the wool grease and stained from the dye. We had finished dyeing until next spring, and my hands would soon lose their blue tint. I did not mind. I loved the color and patterns we designed with the dyed yarn. I had created the clan plaid we wove by using woad blue to represent our sky and red from the alder tree to portray the blood of our clan. Uncle Bethan had declared it the colors of his warriors. 
I had other pictures in my head, filled with color, and I wished I could bring them to life. But Mother did not approve of spending my sunlight hours doing anything other than weaving after the shearing of the sheep. We traded cloth for food, and pictures had never fed anyone in her family. So I wove both cloth and dreams. Mother, will you miss me when I am married? That's a silly question. You have lived here longer than I had hoped. Bethan was good to me and let you stay longer than I expected. Now it is your time to become an adult. I am proud that you are going. You will give up your childish ways and act as a young woman. Now hand me that yarn and ask no more questions. The shuttle flew like a bird through the leaves of an oak tree in my mother's fingers as she lifted the yarn and created the pattern. As I watched, my life memories played through my mind, especially my travel into other bodies, my passage dreams. I had visited two other people in my mind and prayed to the goddesses daily to allow me to continue to have them after my marriage. I hoped they were not one of the childish things my mother told me I would have to give up. I was much younger, about ten harvests, when I had my first passage dream. At dusk the peat smoke lay harsh in our lodge and I longed for fresh air. I sat on a stool, watching my spindle and whirl twist my wool. In no more than a blink, and a small dizzy spell, my heart told me that I looked out of another person's eyes. My mind said it was impossible. I glanced around, afraid and breathless. I was in a small enclosure with strange things around me. Something looked like our polished bronze, but much more reflective. I did not understand what was happening, but I heard the goddess whispering not to be afraid. A hand that belonged to the body lifted the bronze-like thing and a face of a girl, my age, reflected back to me, us. Her large eyes, of my color, looked frightened. She wore her black hair like mine, but her face was not mine. The goddess Marigna whispered into her ear, too, that all was well. I felt her shoulders lose their tension. Questioning brows raised over our eyes. I heard wind blowing, and we turned to a hole in the wall to watch the trees bend and sway. A skin did not cover the opening, yet the cold wind did not blow in. The goddess Marigna said, You are together yet separate. You are connected through the wisps of time. This is a gift of life. Accept and learn. I whispered my name, Jana. She said, Ain. The picture was gone. I was still balanced on the stool, watching the spindle, and surprised that I was not on the floor, asleep. Marigna whispered her name in my ear again, Ain. When I asked if others had passage dreams, Uncle Bethan said no, but if I could travel unseen, I would spy on other clans to make sure they had peaceful thoughts about us. Imagine being able to listen to war plans unknown to others, he laughed. Let me know if you hear about horses faster than ours. We need to look for new stock, and I want to know where it is best to go. 
he pushed me out of his way and continued on to his lodge. Mother did not laugh and looked at me with suspicion, so I kept my dreams secret from everyone except Ogolin, our druid priest. Just before he died, he had assured me my dreams were God-given. The noise of my mother's shuttle brought me out of my reverie. Girl, the work will not get done on its own. There is much wool to spend, and you stand with your mouth open like a chick waiting to be fed. It is time to go to Bethan's. Get our cloaks. I will take my light one, but you should wear your hooded one. You may need to go outside and bring in firewood. She stood and stretched her hands. I wish Bethan would marry again, she said as her fingers popped. He has mourned enough since Gavina died. I hope he finds a woman that pleases him soon. I tire of serving his evening meals. Our empty yard was quiet and the sky clear as my mother and I stepped outside. The moon began showing its full body over the mountains. We will hear many stories about the spirits of last year, said mother. This evening meal is always one filled with tales. Remember, many of the stories are not real. Men try to impress each other with stories bigger than the man's sitting next to him. Bethan's yard noisily filled with the warriors and others who followed him like puppies. My mother and I worked our way through them and went inside where a spitted hog dripped fat that popped in the fire. Root vegetables and onions boiled in a pot and heat filled the room like a blanket. We set out the mead buckets and mugs, eating as we worked. A commotion outside told us Bethan had arrived. We placed the pork in front of his trencher. He was the honored man tonight and all nights in his lodge. He would carve the joint. Let me through. I smell meat and my hunger is enough to eat a full stag. Laughing like a wild boar's roar, Bethan pushed his way into the room. The noise grew. Hungry men followed, all expecting to sing and eat with the chieftain, who clumsily dropped something from his shoulders to the floor. Startled, my eyes traced the shape of a man. A captured prisoner? Was he alive? One of Bethan's pony-like black hunting dogs lay down next to the stranger's body and licked his face. The man flinched. He was not dead. The fire burned high, and with torches gave off enough light to study him. I warn all of you, said my uncle. Let him sleep. He will be busy tomorrow. If he wakes, we will feed him. The man laid still, even though the noise behind us grew. The tables filled with men. Mother and Drista passed overflowing buckets for them to dip their mugs into. I crept closer and crouched next to his chest. His odor slipped through the other men's smells and fire smoke. He was not unwashed, but had spent many nights outdoors. His red hair, not lime-washed, splashed loose over the brushed dirt floor. His worn shoes were stuffed with straw. He wore a sorrel-brown weave I had seen on traders from the south, shirt with long pants, wrapped in a short cloak of the same color, and tied with a thin cord. An empty dirk sheath tied to his belt. He looked thin, hungry thin, but had strong shoulders. A leather pouch lay on the floor near his feet with a design I had never seen before. I picked it up, stared at it for a moment, and dropped it when the stranger groaned. 
Bethan laughed, walked over to the stranger, and took the man by the arms, easily lifting him onto a stool next to him. "'Come, priest, come up to my table and have some meat and bread. Drink my mead. We have much to discuss about the giving fires tomorrow.' I picked up a tray of bread and stood next to Bethan, studying the man's face as it became visible through the smoke-filled room. About twenty seasons he had an intelligent, broad forehead. His gently sloped nose was not large. A beard, the color of an iron pot left outdoors, covered his cheeks and chin. His sharp eyes were a curious blue, not of the daytime sky, not flowers, but midnight blue. He seemed tired, yet wary. The stranger stole a look around the lodge, then reached down and picked up his pouch. The crowd felt instantly quiet. Bethan reached behind him and clapped him on his back, almost pushing the stranger off the stool. "'I have his dirk,' my uncle said. "'He is no threat.' The talking and shouting began again. The man laid his arms and head on the table and did not move except to breathe. "'Women,' Bethan said, "'bring us more drink and eat. "'This day has been difficult and long. "'I have a story to tell. "'Where are my sons?' "'Bethan's sons, Finley, tall like his father, "'with arms and shoulders strong from working as our smith, "'and the oldest, Kenrick, a hand shorter but also well-muscled, "'came into the lodge together, sat by the fire, "'and ate with the men.' as we listened to their father's story. Yesterday, Serdic told me of raiders by the river. He had watched them for two days. When I came across them by our river, I decided there was not time to go for my warriors, so I charged into the group and fought like a demon. The stranger lifted his head, looked at Bethan, and smiled. I lost my breath. He was more handsome than the warrior Braden. They ran as fast as they could, all except this one. He did not run. I asked why, and he said the gods and goddesses were protecting him. Only a druid would stand like that in a battle with me. I had found a priest on Sawain Eve. It is a sign that we will be blessed for the giving fires on the morrow. More mead, he pounded on the table. Bethan's sons and other warriors gathered around Bethan, slapped him on the back, and poured out praises. I knew he would not go into battle alone when so many warriors were at his call. I glanced at my mother, who shook her head, but wore a smile. We knew his tale was bigger than the truth, but we enjoyed listening. My uncle's stories were often more exciting than the storyteller's. The druid's quick hands began stuffing bread into his mouth. He reached for his dirk, but when his hand touched the empty sheath, he looked at Bethan. "'Here is your dirk, priest.' Bethan stabbed it into the table in front of the druid. The druid pulled the short weapon out of the table and sliced himself some meat from the joint, eating as if it had been a long time since his last food. As the meal ebbed, Kenrick brought out his alder whistle and played notes that trilled like birds in the trees at dusk and the rapids of the river. I loved his fast music. He often played it to please his father, our chieftain. 
Fingers and hands began to drum the tables in time with the tune. I started to hum. The druid untied the strings of his pouch and took out a longer whistle. His playing brought in the sounds of the ponies and the wind in the trees. I began to sway, spin, and fling my hair. My eyes were open but not seeing the smoke-filled room. I was in the forest, riding the ponies. Then I noticed the music had stopped. Druid, Kenrick asked, why did you stop playing? Breathless, I ceased dancing and looked to see him staring at me. I dropped to my knees, my legs unable to hold me. What did he see? He tore his wise, night-blue eyes from mine and turned to Finley. It is late, and I must prepare for the early ceremony. Has the sacred wood been laid for the fires? I could not move. My body seemed to be made of stone. I knew his voice. Finley replied, Yes, in two stacks beneath the hill. The druid nodded. I began to breathe again and watched him. Suddenly his eyes caught mine and he tipped his head to me as if in recognition, but his face was unreadable. The stables are secure and you are welcome to sleep there if you do not wish to stay and drink more, Bethan called over the noise. Although, if the spirits come to visit, you may come back. We will be singing and drinking through the night. On the morrow, my sons and I will escort you to the fires. My daughter and I will bring water early, my mother offered, to ready yourself for the ceremony. The stable will be good, said the druid. I will sleep well there. The animals will keep me safe and warm. My mother said, We are going home. My daughter and I will take you. He turned to my mother and me. I am ready, if you will show me the way. The men's songs, praises, smells of mead and meat slipped into the night as we stepped through the door. There were few others outside. All were wary of Sawain's Eve. I forgot. I must talk to Drista about tomorrow's meal. She must start some dishes before she leaves for the fires, said Mother. You take the druid to the stable and wait for me. The druid and I were alone. I pointed to the stable door and walked behind him. Filled with questions, I asked, Where are you from? Why did you stop playing and look at me so? He stopped and shivered as we arrived at the stable door. Take my cloak. It is hooded, I offered, slipping the heavy plaid off my shoulders. I held it out for him. Here, it is lined with soft wool and will be warm for the night. When he reached for it, our fingers touched. My body felt as if it were pierced by sharp knives. My heart raced like a herd of running deer in my chest. We both pulled back, my cloak in his hands, his eyes surprised. He said nothing, but looked at me as if he could see my soul. I had to learn who he was. What is your name? Where are you from? Why do you stop here? Too many questions for a late night. I am known as Fox, Laverne. I wear the fur of the red fox on my arm. His shirt covered his arms, and I could not see the band of fox fur, but my heart again stampeded. What is your name? I, I am Jana, I struggled, my voice almost gone, my body weak. In a passage dream, I had visited a boy who hunted a fox. This voice was the same. Jana, he whispered. 
Moonlight reflected off the confusion surrounding his piercing eyes. Jana? He stumbled as my mother took my arm. Sleep well, Druid, she said as she rushed me home. I stole a look over my shoulder to see him watching us. My mind roiled with thoughts. Was he the boy I had met in a dream? My second passage dream was the first time I had visited the boy when I was eleven seasons old. Again, I was sleepy in a room filled with peat smoke when dizziness crept over me. I blinked and saw through his eyes. His mind told me he was alone and hunting, hiding himself from his prey in a small shelter. Close to sunset, the clouds were turning hunter's pink, and he knew his prey would soon show. Startled by my coming into his mind, he lost sight of the path he had been watching. I felt his impatience. This hunt determined his adult name. The goddess touched his mind and his fear was gone. His body tensed as a shadow crossed the path. A stunning red fox stepped out of the brush with a rabbit squirming in its mouth. The fox stood, watchful for two breaths, and carried the rabbit into its burrow. The young man cursed. He wanted to capture the fox before it escaped underground. He crossed the path, holding a small knife, reached into the hole and grasped the snarling, biting fox. He pulled it from its burrow, sliced its neck and held its body above his head, warm blood running down his arm. I could not tell whose blood it was, his or the fox's. His wounds would leave scars, but the feeling of triumph in the boy's heart overshadowed the pain. He was sixteen seasons old. I whispered my name and awoke. I tasted blood that morning. I was thirteen and he eighteen the second time I visited. He sat on a rough log. A smell of sweet smoke and blood wafted around me and I began to feel ill. An older man knelt beside a fire. He added leaves and small plants to its flames. A small goat, just sacrificed, lay on a rock. The young man's hand held a small bronze blade covered with goat's blood. His mind told me he sacrificed the goat to ward off a threat to those he loved. I sent him calming thoughts of safety. The goddess bade me to whisper my name, and I left. Home, I listened to rain and the god's wrath thunder outside. Unease filled my heart for the rest of the day. I feared for the young man in my dream. After leaving the stable with mother, I did not sleep thinking of the druid in the stable, the boy in my passage dreams. I tried to determine why the gods had given me my dreams and why they brought the boy, now a man, here. I arose before sunrise. Wrapped in a blanket, I ran to our fire and blew on its coals. It came to life and spread light and warmth through our home. Thank you, Goddess Marigna, for protecting our fire and our home, I said, uttering our daily prayer. I dressed quickly, and on tiptoes to get as far from the cold floor as possible, I dipped a jar deep into our water urn. I shivered as I poured icy water into our boiling pot and fed a small block of peat to the glowing embers. Do not waste the fuel, Mother protested. We must quench the fire soon and relight it from the giving fire. Yes, Mother. I wish to start the grain cooking before I carried wash water to the druid. Oh, yes, the druid. 
There was a feeling in my bones last night that he might harbor trouble. I do not know whether we should ask him to stay in our village. I must discuss this with Bethan. Mother's feelings were often right, and even Bethan listened and took counsel from her. Do not be long with him. I will need you to carry the offering to the goddess today. Are you not meeting Heralt to walk to the ceremony? Oh, Heralt! Bethan would announce our hand-fasting today. How could I have forgotten? I poured warm water into a jug to take to the priest and measured barley and mother's favorite herbs into the now-boiling pot. Mm, that smells good. Thank you for starting it. I heard her groan as she got out of bed and started dressing. Today you will be looked upon by the whole clan when hand-fasted to Heralt. You should wear your yellow dress. Yes, mother, I smiled. She still thought of me as a child at times. I would be married next week. I wondered if she would then think of me as a woman. My light cloak belted and shoelaces loose in my hurry, I pulled open our door to leave. Not quite dawn, fog hid sun as it started its long climb from behind our mountain. An iron-gray sky harbored small touches of moss flower pink reflected in the haze. The animals were still snug in stables or homes, protected from wolves, and the cooking fires were small. Chill bumps on my arms from the coolness of the air made me glad I carried the jug of warm water. At the first rays of light, birds started their possessive chirps. Listening carefully, I heard no owls. They must be in from their hunts. Mother said a day started with an owl song was a favorable day. I prayed the gods looked in on me, even though no owls sang. I hesitated at the stable door, unable to go in. What should I say? Would I ask, Priest, have you ever had anyone visit you in your mind? He would think me a fool. I jumped when he cleared his throat. He stood in the darker shadows of the already dark stable. My eyes grew accustomed to the lack of light, and his hands rested on the pony. Its ears reached forward as if listening. Laverne straightened to his full height, almost touching the roof of the structure, and slowly nodded to me. Come in! He hesitated, then said my name as if forgotten, then remembered. Jana. His straw-filled, tasseled hair looked as if he had wrestled a demon all night. My cloak lay in a crumpled ball on the stacked hay in the corner. Caution edged his familiar voice. I am thanking this animal for bringing me here and protecting me last night. I have come a long way. I feel I may have found the end of my journey. I trust the gods to tell me today. I have warmed water for your washing. Are you finished with my cloak, or will you use it today? I asked. I did not use it last night and will not need it today. You may take it. He nodded to it, his hands still on the pony. If you would like some milk to break your fast, I can milk a goat. Bethan would not mind. No, I will not break my fast until after the ceremony. I hesitated, not ready to leave. I needed to know more about this man. What journey? What will the gods tell him today? You may use my light cape today if you wish. I can give it to you now. If you wear it, the members of our clan will recognize you as a friend and welcome you more easily. You should wear our colors if you think you will stay in our village for a time. I will not need your cape today, he said gruffly. 
Was the fog affecting his voice, or was he uncomfortable with me here, alone? He stepped closer, his face a mystery, his sinewy, muscled arms bare. It was then his scars and armed band became visible. I had been in his mind when he received the wounds that caused his scars. He was from my passage dream. I could not move or breathe. He reached down, picked up my heavy cloak, and stepped next to me. Currents of energy ran through my body. I watched him intently, thinking myself ready to run if needed, but deep in my mind, knowing I could not. He leaned in, and the heat of his body and mind combined. We will have a journey together. The gods Dogda and Morigna protect me, he whispered into my ear. Opening my cloak, he laid it across my shoulders. His hand rested on me for an instant. I trembled and felt his breath on my face. His eyes never left mine. Was this a frith, a sign from the goddess? What kind of journey was he speaking of? Questions overcame my thoughts, but I could not form them into words. I remembered the women teasing unmarried girls around the well, laughing, The first male you meet on Sawain is the man you will marry. He was the first male I had seen on this sacred day. No, no, I will marry Heralt, I said. I am promised. Our hand-fasting will be announced at the ceremony today. You and I cannot make a journey. I twisted out of his reach. My legs finally worked and ran me back to the safety of the known, the safety of my home. He was there, dependable Heralt, waiting at my door, ready to go, dressed for a ceremony in a new tunic, and hair brushed back from his face with lime water. His dirk sheathed and tied at his waist. I ran up to him, breathless, trying not to look as flustered and confused as I felt. I've just come from the druid and have to get water from the well. Please go help mother. I took the wooden bucket to the well, filled it, and was tripping back when Heralt came out of the house with mother. We will start gathering the goats, mother said. Get dressed. Bring the blanket and the oak log for the fire. I went in, emptied the bucket into the water jar, and found my leather bag with our gift to the goddess, the blanket we wove, folded inside. The oak brand that would bring the giving fire home lay next to the pit. Mother had smothered the fire with earth and emptied it of its ashes. Laid with small kindling, it stood ready for the new fire. I found my yellow dress lying on our bed and pulled it over my head. I combed my hair, hoping to gain some control, and wore it unfettered. I retied my shoes, pinned my cloak, and stepped outside. The noise and smells of the day rose to a level seen only on days of ceremonies. The people of the farms and homes around us were gathering for the event. I heard a loud rumble of sound behind us as I followed Heralt and Mother. A war chariot passed, pulled by two ponies driven by Bethan. Riding on either side, each on his own pony, were Finley and Kenrick. Kenrick carried an oak log filled with the embers of a fire that would light the giving fire. The druid, Laverne, stood next to Bethan in the chariot. I gasped. <gasps> How handsome he was, red hair flying free. He was almost as tall as Bethan, with Bethan's plaid cape pinned around him, and his pouch hanging over his shoulder. My thoughts and feelings were confused. Would he look at me? Did I want him to? 
Laverne's eyes did not stray as the chariot rushed by. I stepped between Heralt and Mother, and we began to walk to the ceremony. Looking back at my life, I understand I was unborn until the night Bethan carried Laverne, the fox, into his lodge. I started living when he played the music of the wind, and I danced. Please join me again for another chapter of The Fox by Arlene Radaski. Now enjoy the music of Steve McDonald's song, All You Can Know, from his Sons of Summerlet album. His music can be found at www.etherean.com, who along with Steve have allowed me to use the music in my podcasts. Learn more about The Fox at www.radasky.com.
Will a man lose his way? Will he break down and pray? Look for the questions and the reasons why. Look to the people. It's all in your mind. 